Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me Sam Matterface TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent Alex Crook and European Football Guru Kevin Hatchard joining us to discuss amongst other things Arsenal throwing away a two goal advantage again Bournemouth leaving it late down Spurs and take a massive step towards safety. And can anyone stop rampant Aston Villa? Unai Emery's side making a light work of Newcastle and a late charge for the European places. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Yeah, notice I didn't mention anything about Chelsea uh, in that uh, introduction. And mainly because I spent 90 minutes of my Saturday afternoon feeling as if uh, whilst I was out, someone had gone into my house, ransacked it and knocked uh, all of my prized possessions over and robbed all of my heirlooms. It was one of those days where you just felt as if, what is the what is the point in, in watching football anymore? You go and watch your team and you, you knew from the minute that you got there that they were going to lose. They then gave you that false little bit of hope and then they dashed it away from you once again. Honestly, it was dreadful. Um, Kevin, did you have a better weekend? What did you do this weekend? Were you Bundesliga-ing? I was Bundesligaing. Uh, did Schalke's 5-2 win over Hertha, which will skate over, given your Hertha connections, although they've we weren't made a managerial that, change, so that's exciting. <laughs> um, yeah, again, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, Paul Dardai never quite leaves the building, always dragged back no. in. So he's back again for the 17th time. Uh, so I did that. I did a game on uh, Saturday as well, and uh, also for TalkSport's international service, did Nottingham Forest against Manchester United and had to whack lyrical about how good that patched up United team were because they were genuinely excellent. Yes, a little bit of lucky fortune, actually, in terms of an injury this weekend, which we'll touch on in just a moment. Uh, the BFG is here. Hello. Hello. You're right. You had a good weekend? Uh, yeah. Yeah, not bad, actually. Um, good wins for Bournemouth and Brighton. We won't talk about Southampton because... They don't exist as far as the Premier League are concerned anymore. And uh, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised um, by Manchester United. I, I thought, apart from the Maguire handball debacle, I thought they played really well. OK, let's get to uh, East London, where there was a huge game between West Ham and Arsenal. It's the second time in two weeks that Arsenal have dropped two points. It's the second time in a week that Arsenal have dropped a two-goal advantage. Does that mean that it's advantage Manchester City in the title race? You bet it does. We have 
a magnificent title race on our hands. John Stones is absolutely on fire at the moment. Fantastic finish from Erling Haaland. Manchester City have started this game absolutely incredible. They finished Manchester City 3, Leicester City 1. An easy day at the office for City. In general was uh, a good victory in Zerbi. Over to you, Arsenal. Really nice move from Arsenal, and that's how good they are. You blink and they'll kill you, and that's what's happened. Seven on the clock now, West Ham nil, Arsenal 1. Who's a ringing out already? What's the saying? One brings two. Ten on the clock, it's West West Ham nil, Arsenal 2. West Ham 2, Arsenal 2. No one, but no one saw this coming. Obviously, but you can see the goals that we're going to concede the first one and uh, and the second one. And on top of that, you don't score a penalty. In this league, you are in big trouble. Is this the day the pendulum swung Man City's way? When Bukayo Saka steps up to take the penalty, the whole nation's holding their breath. What we don't want to see is him missing another crucial penalty. The fact that he does has a huge impact on this game because within seconds of him missing the penalty, Kevin, at the other end, West Ham are on the score sheet and it's 2-2. It probably was the most pivotal minute and a half in the title race so far. Yeah, if he scores that penalty, the game's over. I think that's fair to say. But I applaud him for taking them. I applaud him for being a young guy who's willing to put his hand back in the fire. I mean, if you think of all of the stuff he endured after that Euro final for England, the fact that he's willing to step up for Arsenal time and time again, I think is really quite remarkable. I think it speaks to his character. And overall, I think Mikel Arteta got it right. His team stopped playing after they were 2-0 up. Um, they started ever so well, but they allowed West Ham back into the game. I thought West Ham were much better than they had been in the... Europa Conference League on Thursday. thought they were a bit lucky to get away with a draw, actually, from Belgium yeah. uh, last Thursday. So David Moyes' team deserves credit for the way they fought their way back into the game, had a clear plan, pressed well. But, you know, you have to be relentless when you're in a title race. And what's happened here, if you think about Manchester City's battles with Liverpool over the years, you get to a point at the end of the season where the standard is so high. You drop points anywhere, suddenly it's a total disaster. And that's what Arsenal are un undergoing at the moment. That's what they're it, enjoying. It's unbelievable, isn't it, really, when you think about it. They've got a 2-2 draw at um, Liverpool and a 2-2 draw at West Ham. And it's like the world has yeah. caved in <laughs> on, on top of them. And it, it sounds crazy, really. But ultimately... They're two games that they had in the palm of their hand. They were brilliant for 25 minutes against Liverpool last weekend. Had a swagger about them. They looked like a special team. They started so brilliantly against West Ham, you thought it was going to be four or five. Arteta said afterwards, we're not killers. Is that the problem, Crook? Yeah, I see where he's coming from. Um, because if you look at the way that Manchester City are winning their games at the moment, they're not only winning with something in hand, they're by and large, getting the game won by half-time and then in the very luxurious position of being able to take off Erling Haaland and resting him for the second half of games or, or, or taking him off when he's scored twice and he's, he's looking for a hat-trick. So Arsenal are making hard work of it. They've done it for some time, actually. You go back to the Bournemouth game at home when they were 2-0 down, the game that you commentated, I think, Sam, away at Aston Villa when they left it late to beat them. And I think in the end, that catches up with you. And Manchester City are just more relentless. Obviously, they've been around the course and distance before and I was watching during the Grand National build-up at the weekend actually there was a, a brilliant feature uh, voiced by the excellent Gabriel Clark about the Grand National where Red Rum came from miles off to beat Crisp 
and the jockey was saying I could hear on the on the loudspeaker, all I could hear was that Red Rum was closing in and then he could hear Red Rum literally stamping and about to go past him on the line. I think that's probably how Arsenal are feeling at the moment. I think for the first time this season, I think we are seeing signs this fearless young side are finally cracking under some kind of pressure. They are a young team. And I think that if you listen to some of the pundits, they'll tell you that they saw it coming. Martin Keown, for example, has been telling Crook and I uh, for a little while that he was always scared about this game. But is that half of the problem, actually? The fact is, is that, you know, that they did see these games, these big sort of London derbies, this game against Liverpool as, as almost opportunities to slip up rather than games that they had to just, hurdles they just had to jump over, Kev. Well, also, they are hard games. I mean, Liverpool, I know, are having an awful season. There's no getting around Every game's that. a hard game in the Premier League, though, isn't it? I mean, if you want to win yeah. the Premier League, you have to win those. Yeah, you do. That's true. I just think the Liverpool situation, though, as you said, they were brilliant in the opening exchanges. That can happen to you once Liverpool get moving with that crowd behind them, get some momentum, that, that can happen. This felt more like a, a massive slip-up, really, given the situation they were in, given the fact that, you know, that crowd at the London Stadium can be a real force for West Ham, but it isn't always. And, you know, the longer you keep it at 2-0 the more they might turn or, or, or lose heart a bit. So this feels like more That's of an error. That's a good era. point, actually. Poor old Arsenal is so unlucky that even the West Ham crowd turned up for the game. It's like... <laughs> well, they, they, they didn't were 2-0 down you know, and when they, they were 2-0 down, battered. There was, there was a lot of dissenting voices. There were, even after they scored, there were one or two boos at half-time. So they still had the opportunity, Arsenal, to use that to their advantage. I think what's alarming is they were so good for 10 minutes and they oh, did they stop so playing. It, it wasn't so much that West Ham forced their way back into the game. It was that so Arsenal you think just got, got too the job casual. Done. They, they thought they'd got the job, job yeah. done. Is that, is that what they thought? Yeah, I, I think there was an element of that. Absolutely. It sounds like a pretty depressing podcast this morning, I think, because all of us are sitting here um, <laughs> because we thought Arsenal might go on and sort of make a real sort of fist of it. And there's a sort of realisation that maybe Manchester City are coming like that, 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 that galloping horse behind them. Um, but actually, the real reason that me and Crook are, are, are so depressed is because we might have to apologise to Martin Keown. That's what we're really worried about. <laughs> I don't think there's any might about weeks. it, to be honest. We uh, we ridiculed him uh, for saying West Ham would be a difficult game. Um, I, I, I don't know how much pleasure he'll take in being proved right, but I'm sure there'll be a little bit. Put it this way. He wasn't shy on the text messages yesterday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. I was me. like, oh, for Christ's sake. This is the last thing I need. <laughs> Look, they're still in this, though. They're still in it. Uh, they've got... Yeah, I think everybody's assuming they're just going to get crushed by City later this month at the Etihad. But, mm. you know, they have to see that as an opportunity to show that they're still in this title race. The standard is incredibly high once City get moving like this. But they're still in the mix. No question about 145 it. 145 points in the last 10 games of uh, seasons in the last six campaigns. They know how to finish the job at Manchester City. They've got uh, a ridiculous record when it comes to getting over the line. And Arsenal have never done it before. Not this incarnation of Arsenal. Anyway, a word for West Ham. Played very well. Showed a little bit of uh, cojones to get back against the league leaders. The crowd against them after that little poor start where things could have gone the other way but actually you know David Moyes did talk about the crowd saying you know there was a few dissenting voices but as the game went on they really roared their team over the line and actually they had some good chances to go on and win the game Crook they hit the bar late on yeah it was a 
was a good chance. It, it was a tight angle f- for Mikel Antonio, but he'll be disappointed that he couldn't squeeze the, the header the right side of the post. It, it, it was good from West Ham. Once they got back in the game, they, they did play probably their best football of the season. Jared Bowen seems to be a player who's finding his form at, at just the right time. The issue they've got, West Ham, and I don't think they will go down, and I, I never really did, but if you look at the eight fixtures they've got left to play, they only took four points from the reverse meeting. So it's still quite a tricky fixture list, but you have to think that taking a point at home from 2-0 down against the league leaders will give them the springboard, will give them the confidence to go on and, and probably survive pretty comfortably. I, I don't see them as, as one of the teams that are under serious threat. No, I think key now will be their uh, approach to the Europa Conference League Thursday night. Massive game for them, really. And I know that people ridicule the Europa Conference League, but let me tell you, if they get to a European final, uh, those West Ham fans are going to absolutely revel in it. Um, Somebody else is looking to try and get to a European final. Manchester City beat Leicester 3-1 on Saturday. They take on Bayern Munich live on TalkSport on Wednesday. In fact, I'm going to Leeds on Monday night and then going straight from there to uh, Munich to do the game on Wednesday. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, and Manchester City, I think, are looking forward to it as well, Kevin, after basically declaring like a cricket side at half time, taking off all of their uh, big hitters, bringing on some of their youngsters and Calvin Phillips and saying, right, you know, let's just get this over and done. We've got our bags packed, passports ready. We're off to uh, Germany. And they knew they could. That, that's the sad thing for Leicester. I know Leicester scored a goal, had a chance to maybe make it 3-2, but the... The gap was so big in that first half that they'd earned the right to make those changes. Haaland, obviously, onto 32 league goals. We said before the season started, we felt he was going to get bags of goals for City, and that's proven to be the case. Because you look at him, there are no weaknesses in his game. He's fast, he's strong, he's intelligent, he's got amazing technique. The guy is unstoppable, scores all different types of goals. And this is the first season of them working with him. Imagine what it's going to be like once that timing improves, once they work out exactly how to use him. I think that's going to be a devastating combination. I think is they... it is it good is it good for the league? Do you think? No, no, I don't think so. I think it's good for the league to have him in it in some way, shape, or form. But, but shouldn't he been... be at Bournemouth or something just to like even things? That'd be up. lovely. Do, do you know what? <laughs> that's an interesting debate. Would he get as many goals? I think he would, but in a different way because I think what you'd have is he'd be the focal point of that team, whatever team he was he'd at. Be the he'd... only one who scored goals. Yeah, in that team. he'd be the Ollie Watkins, for example, where everything is being pushed <laughs> through him. Um, so I, I think he would, but no, it, in terms of the competitive balance, and that's not me having a go at City, that's just the, the reality, the financial reality of what they were able to do. Yeah, and they I were, think that's what we were saying with the Arsenal thing, and that we were a little bit depressed about the fact that they dropped points, not not because we necessarily don't want City to win the league, um, or Crook will say, oh, I don't want City to win the league, um, but more because we just want it to be competitive for longer yeah. and for there always to be the opportunity for a team like Arsenal to come through the pack and win the title because that's what makes the league the league it is with all due respect kev i don't want to wake up every single uh, september and go oh yeah bayern munich are going to win the league just by how many points yeah you're absolutely you're absolutely right look it wasn't good for Serie A when juventus won it you know as many times in a row as they did it's not good for the bundesliga when bayern dominate it's not good for the premier league that manchester city have had the domination that they've had. It's not good for Liga. The Paris, when they don't win the league, it is an enormous failure. So mm. that's not a situation that we want. And I, and I think 
that is the way we've been heading. Thankfully, because Juventus have imploded, Serie A is now great because you've had Inter yeah. win it, Milan win it, Napoli are going to win it. Incredibly competitive. So that that's the situation you want to get to. It would be lovely to have a situation in the Premier League where, yes, Manchester City are challenging, but Liverpool might win it, Arsenal might win it, Manchester United might win it. You know, that that's where we'd love to get to as a league, I think. Maybe we should have a handicap system. that If you've got Erling Haaland, you have to start with minus nine points. Yes, um, they'd still do it, but yes. <laughs> they'd still do it, but, you know, it might make it more interesting over the course of the season. Baptism of fire for Dean Smith. Hard to sort of judge um, him on this game. And the next three matches are really important for Leicester City. They've got the opportunity to put points on the board. Uh, those three matches will define whether or not they stay in the league or not. Most of them are live on talk sport. In fact, yeah, over the next few weeks, most of the big matches, in fact, almost every match that matters is live on talk sport. Uh, we've got 60 games over the course of April. It is incredibly busy time. I, I think I've got six matches in the next seven days. Uh, and I am very, very excited about it. And I'm sure that uh, the other boys are as well. Uh, Nottingham Forest nil, Manchester United 2. Manchester United had like serious injury problems coming into this game. So there's no Rashi. There's no uh, Rashi. That's what my son calls him. There's no Rashford. There's no, uh, there's no Varane. There's no Lissandro Martinez. Um, uh, and then all of a sudden in the, in the warm-up, Sabitzer, who played really well on Thursday night and has become a little bit of a, uh, a cult hero at Old Trafford, gets injured in the warm-up, and you're thinking, what is going on here? Then Ericsson steps in, takes his place, and runs the show. I mean, you don't want anybody to get injured, but that was almost like a little bit of luck, Rook. Uh, yes and no. Um, I was quite excited to see how Sabitzer could continue his form from midweek, and probably Ericsson wasn't yet at a stage really where he should be starting games, particularly not with 15 minutes notice, but you're right, he absolutely bossed that game in midfield. One or two nervy moments from Harry Maguire. We talked about the, the, the penalty already, and maybe you'll tell us, Sam, why that wasn't a handball. But apart from that, I think it was fairly comfortable. Quite damning of Nottingham Forest, actually, because, you know, they're, they're desperate for, for points to get themselves out of trouble. They've got a horrendous fixture list. This was a, a golden opportunity for them against an injury-ravaged Manchester United team, one they never really looked like grasping. I thought Anthony Martial did okay without actually managing to put the ball in the back of the net. Anthony was excellent, um, silencing some of those taunts from our own Gabby Agbonlahor. It was a very good away performance, and they're going to need to produce similar in the Europa League on Thursday to get through in that competition. I actually thought that Nottingham Forest had a couple of good chances in the game, and if they'd been able to finish off their opportunities better, they may well have got on the score sheet. I think they were absolutely robbed of a penalty. I do not understand how it wasn't a penalty. Harry Maguire's got his arm, arm out by his side out here and it lands on the crease of his elbow. I mean, it's in, in the penalty area. It doesn't matter whether that's accidental or, or not. The fact that his arm's outstretched like that, that I mean, I just I can't understand the, the explanation of not giving the penalty. I, in fact, I'm so flabbergasted after last weekend's debacle that that wasn't given I'm surprised that more hasn't been made of it. The only thing I can think of is that Nottingham Forest felt as if they were so well beaten anyway, it didn't really matter uh, that they were going to get that penalty or not. But Kev, could you come up with an explanation as to why it wasn't given? I must admit, when I saw it, because he's in with a a clutch of players, 
I was a little surprised it wasn't given. My my initial thought was it hit him a bit higher on the arm in terms of how everybody went in. But yeah, I was surprised it wasn't given. Surprised it wasn't the the referee wasn't sent to the monitor to have another look. Yeah. I, I thought the refereeing so in general of the game was was a little strange and a little permissive at times, to be honest. <laughs> I, I do think United. What a great, great. word that is, permissive. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought United were great, actually. I, I thought they were a little bit vulnerable at times. There was the mm. Awani chance, which was a great chance, which you just Super smacked chance. over the bar. It was a great chance. So, look, it wasn't perfect. I thought Casemiro, Eriksen, Fernandez were outstanding in midfield. Anthony Fernandez was proper was Anthony. Anthony was the Anthony that glides like somebody in the Matrix, and you're not quite sure what the hell's happened. He's gone past five people. And it's like, ah, how did that happen? He, he, that was proper Anthony, and the little slip pass for Dallo was terrific. Uh, and oh, was, it was outrageously good. I was really pleased for Dallo as well because uh, he'd never scored in the Premier League before. I, I really like his energy. I really like the effort. And I really like the fact that he would he enjoyed the goal as much as he did, screaming he really at the fans, did. I told you. He was like, I told yeah. you. Told us he, what? He, he, what? What did you tell us? And also he got so angry about scoring the goal. It was like yeah. almost like a, a lot of frustration came out in that yeah. moment. But he seemed to be taking it out on the wrong people. It was a very misdirected outburst of emotion from Diego Dallo. His first goal, actually, since he scored against FC Sheriff in the Europa League. And his first ever goal in the Premier League, uh, about the 900th time of asking. Uh, but he was playing in a different position this this weekend. But you're right about the ball. Outstanding. The only surprise in the whole match, actually, was that Anthony, when he scored, didn't score by cutting in <laughs> off the uh, right flank onto his left foot and trying to bend it into the top corner. That was the only surprise of the of, of the weekend. I think he'll be great uh, next season, by the way, Anthony. I, I think he's going to be one of those yeah. players you who slagged, you slagged him off takes a year to adapt, and I think you he's going to go take the league by storm next year. There you go. Early prediction. You're having a go at him, you? Early prediction, right? Okay, that after you, you finish slagging him off uh, <laughs> earlier in the season. Some of us thought he was good all the way through, you see. You know, yeah, we all, we, we all, I think if you remember rightly, when he signed, I sent you a text message saying I'd seen him at, uh, uh, in his previous incarnation and said that he was very good and that I thought he would, uh, but overpriced. I'm sure you said League. overpriced. I don't think I did say overpriced. I think I might have said expensive, something mm. like that. Yeah, but you've got expensive taste, yeah, mate, so you know all about that. I, lo- I love the fact that you're trying to change the narrative after you called him a something like I think you said show pony. I'm just saying, I can't remember what it. What, what exactly the wording was. I thought you liked show ponies. That's your thing, Crook, isn't it? Big racing fan. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine him trying to get on one, though? <laughs> for a quick trot around the, yeah. around the paddock. That, that's Not a job a for a idea. mule, I think. That's a job for a mule. <laughs> um, just a quick word on Nottingham Forest, bearing in mind that Steve Cooper has been under a little bit of pressure. The mood changed a little bit uh, at the end of the game, didn't it? You know, a few boos, a bit of a sort of, no, that's just shift I felt in terms of the way Nottingham Forest were feeling. They're, they're going to struggle to stay up now, and that is a real shame because, um, you know, they had so much to the Premier League, Kev. Look, the fans were terrific for most of it, I, I thought. I thought they were really loud, really supportive. I, I think that the glaring issue with them is the lack of creativity. That That's the thing. Brennan Johnson, they couldn't get him into the game. I thought United dealt with him very well in general. The one thing I thought was a real surprise, and, and I think was a real error, actually, was Harry Maguire looked terrified, I thought. Picked up a yellow card against Awani really early on. Awani is big, strong, and quick. 
just get him up against Maguire and isolate him in as many uh, opportunities as you can just to make him bring Awani down. They just didn't do it. They just didn't test no. Maguire enough after he picked up that yellow card. I thought, I thought he was a walking red card after that, genuinely, and they just didn't really isolate him. And I thought Gibbs White was disappointing. They've got the lowest expected goals figure in the whole league, and you can see why, because they just don't make enough chances. Yeah, um, it's a real shame, isn't it, in terms of um, recruiting loads of players, bringing lots of different bodies into the group, but actually forgetting to get the one thing or not being able to get your hands on the one thing that makes a real difference in this league, and that is putting the goals in the back of the net. And, you know, Chelsea have had the same sort of scenario. They've gone around Europe, they've spent loads of money, but ultimately they've come back with everything but the thing that they really, really need. Um, They were part of Saturday's action. Let's get stuck into Saturday's games now, starting with a thriller at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bingbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Head into the box, Brendier, Watkins! I don't need to tell you what comes next. Everton 1, Fulham 3, and it was a beautifully taken goal by Daniel James, who's had a very good afternoon for Fulham, it has to be said. It's Wolves 2, Brentford 0, and it's the substitute Huang. He's only been on the field five minutes. Oh, oh my word, what a goal! And CISO, what an absolute screamer from the first-half substitute. He goes over to the Brighton fans and takes in the adulation, both his arms outstretched, looking at them saying, how about that? Southampton 0, Crystal Palace to the home fans flooding for the exit and who can blame them and Pedro Porro beaten by Solanke Watara is square Solanke can find him Solanke onto Watara back onto his right foot Watara for Bournemouth 
Can you believe it? Finished Manchester City 3, Leicester City 1. An easy day at the office for City that now puts them three points behind tabletop as Arsenal, who they play next in the Premier League. Spurs 2, Bournemouth 3. Now, who saw Bournemouth beating Spurs? Who saw that? Who saw that coming? Well done. Anyone? Well done. I, I thought they'd get a point. You went one step further and you, you called it. It took until the, the 96th minute, but your prediction was was bang on. Oh, and hold on. They were leading for ages before that. And then Lumen Dam Juma turned up and I was standing in the kitchen going mad, going, what the hell's going on here? How has that happened? And then three minutes later, I was dancing around again. No, not enough has been made of it, by the way, because ultimately it didn't change the outcome. But that goal should have been ruled out. Harry Kane clearly is standing right in front of the goalkeeper in an offside position. I was watching it with Mrs Crook on Sunday morning. She said the goalkeeper should do better there. I said he can't see the ball because Harry Kane is standing in front of him. If Bournemouth hadn't won the game, I think they'd have had a... directly in the eye line, was he? It was just slightly to one side, which I think affects the judgment. But in terms of where the ball goes... It's straight, it's straight through Harry Kane, pretty much, which means that the goalkeeper is impeded in, in playing yeah, it. I, mean, I, I think it should have been ruled out. But right. what character from Bournemouth to go straight up the other end almost? Well, Richarlison and Mr. Sitter in between. It was such a dramatic conclusion to the game. Solanke's was, composure, yeah. the, the speed of thought to tee up his mate. And then Dongo Watara, first goal in English football, could have been forgiven for just trying to smash it. He absolutely places it to perfection. He's been superb since coming on while also having some issues he was fasting for Ramadan he had to come off very early in the game against Leicester um, so he's obviously very strong-minded as well and they won't admit it themselves but I think Bournemouth are, are tantalisingly close to safety now and you, you mentioned Nottingham Forest and I want to make one point about them and Bournemouth are part of the conversation of the three teams that came up I think most people thought that Bournemouth and Fulham would be the two most likely to go back down again and that Forest possibly with that home crowd could stay up They've done it in the right way. Forest have done it in the wrong way. I think it's embarrassing the way they've conducted themselves with so many signings. So credit to Bournemouth and Fulham. They've stuck to their game plan and they're going to reap the rewards. Five wins in the last nine for Bournemouth. Pretty impressive. Um, the one thing I like about Bournemouth is they play football, Kevin. They don't just sit back pragmatically, try and fight their way through games. They've got that in their locker if they need to do it. But what they do is, is if they are, even if they do sit back and try and nick the ball off someone, they change their tactics depending on who they're going to play. They switch formations from a three to a four if they need to. Um, they press high up, which is what they did on Saturday, won the ball in opposition territory and created from there. And then they play. They've got footballers. They've got Billing. They've got Christie, who's really comfortable on the ball. They've got Solanke, who technically, with a ball at his feet, is good. He comes up with the odd finish now and again, and sometimes he misses too many chances. But they've got footballers in the team that want to play further up the pitch once they win it back. If they win it deep, they'll try and play their way through. If they win it high, they'll quickly get it into goal-scoring positions. And that is really important because so many teams will sit, soak, and try and sort of nick ball here and there, and then not know what to do in the next phase of play. Bournemouth very much know what they're doing. Yeah, and they're a threat. That That's the thing. Whereas Forest find it really, really difficult. Now, do you think Forest is still in it, by the way? You know, they're, they're, yeah. they're still in the mix. Still a long five. way to go, by yeah. the way. There's still eight, seven, eight games still to go. I, I still think Forest are in this, but their away form is so poor, obviously. That's the big, the big issue for them. But you're absolutely right about Bournemouth. And Watara, I think, is a great example of that because... If you looked at him in Liga, he was in the middle of his breakout season. Now, when we talked about him coming in, you knew he was having a great season with Lorient. There's no doubt about that. But 
still very early in his football development. So what I was intrigued to see was to whether he could take that fun factor, whether he could take that boldness into the Premier League. And I think what Gary O'Neill has done is he's given him a framework to do that within. So, yes, he has his responsibilities, but you can see that he's a liberated player. He wants to run at people. He wants to make things happen. And the way he took the goal, I thought, was sensational. To have the composure in the penalty area, to have that touch, to open it up, really very impressive. And Solanke gets a lot of stick because he doesn't score enough goals. That's absolutely true. But there's always been a good player there in terms of his technical ability, in terms of his awareness. Uh, And I think we're seeing that too. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. They're getting the rewards for being bold in attack. Yeah, uh, obviously he couldn't afford a proper bus though because they turned up 15 minutes uh, late. And as a result of that, the game kicked off late as well. Uh, another miserable outing for Spurs. And Davinson Sanchez is this weekend's light bulb, you know, on and then off again. Um, Anthony Gordon had to put up with it the week before. And now <laughs> Davinson Sanchez has to as well. But then again, I, with all due respect, it is his own fault. He did give a ball away for the Vineyard goal and then he passed the ball to Solanke inadvertently for the second goal. I mean, let's be honest, he hasn't had a very good time at Spurs, has he? And maybe that's because he's not quite up to the level that is required of a Premier League defender, Craig. Well, you talk about badly run football clubs. He's the beacon for that because they paid huge money to sign him and he's been a disaster. He's a disaster almost every time he steps over the white line. I can understand the Tottenham fans' frustrations. It's always unsavoury when you pick on a particular individual, but they've, they've had enough, haven't they? You, you look at their last two games, they effectively lost at home to Brighton. They have now lost at home to Bournemouth. They've got no chance of finishing the top four. You look at their run of fixtures, they might only get two wins between now and the end of the season. Um, and, you know, they're going to have to go back to the drawing board and, and, and have another reset and try and get a manager who probably isn't of the elite calibre, because I don't see that uh, someone like Nagelsmann is going to take that job. I still think they might go cap in hand to Pochettino. I I still wouldn't rule that out. Do you know what? It's interesting because I think a lot of Spurs fans thought I was being particularly, um, I don't know, agitating when I suggested that there was no chance of making the top four. I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, they'd thrown away a place in the FA Cup. They'd thrown away a place in the Champions League and they will throw away their place in the top four. And the reason I was so confident about that is because these performances are not new. This is how they have been performing over the whole season. And eventually it catches up with you. I actually don't know how they've got away with it for so long. They're fifth in the league. It's amazing because they aren't that good. And they haven't been playing well at all. They've been playing below their level all season. It's remarkable. You know, they nicked a place in the last 16 of the Champions League, by the way, in the last five minutes of their game. Uh, I think it was away in Lisbon or something. I did their last game. Anyway, they nicked a place in the Champions League in, in the last few seconds of the group stage. Oh, in Marseille. Um, yeah, yeah. It, was, it yeah. was in Marseille, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. It was in Marseille. They nicked it, that, 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 that place. They, they, they didn't deserve it. And they got a little bit lucky with the other results. Um, they played poorly in that competition. They've been really poor in the Premier League. And, you know, Stellini's conducted himself really poorly. He conducted himself poorly on the touchline the other week and he fell out with uh, Roberto De Zerbi. And now he's fallen out with Gary O'Neill as well, refusing to shake his hand after the game. There's one common denominator here and that is him. So obviously he needs to improve his conduct in and around other football people. Um, we did speak to him though afterwards and asked him why he did uh, take on 
take on, bring on, and then take off Davinson Sanchez. And this is what you had to say. Yeah, I, I thought it was uh, too early in the game to to change the system in the second half. Uh, if we progress well in the game, I I I, I don't need to change uh, Davidson. But after they score the second goal, uh, was uh, compulsory to change and try to do something better. And and we did. So the reason was this. Well, he's got some bridges to repair with quite a few people, I think, uh, uh, Christian Stellini. It, it hasn't really worked out, this change in, in the dugout for them, has it, Kev? No, I think I think he later went to apologise to Gary O'Neill for that, didn't he? He waited until he'd done his interviews, apparently, and then went. And, uh, but but it doesn't excuse the fact that he just stormed down the tunnel. But look, I, I we've said this before. You cannot have a situation where you you give the job to the number two and then expect some incredible new style to emerge. And he was almost arguing against himself after this game because he said, oh, I, I was very annoyed. We, we got the goal and then we didn't push on. It's a bad mindset. You've been part of that mindset all season. <laughs> You're the coach, fella. Yeah, but it's it like literally this is what you've done for the whole season. You've had that kind of real caution about it. I mean, you look at the attacking players they've got, you could really cut loose with that team if you wanted to. And they just haven't. And I think the players are so indoctrinated so... now in the Conte style. And it was successful last season to a point because they got top four. So you can't take that away from them. They did well to finish above Arsenal. But this season, where it was supposed to be the next step, they haven't taken that next step. They got wound up with Conte. He got wound up with them. Conte obviously had you know difficulties with Levy. The, the whole thing's a mess. The whole thing is a mess. Yep. And like Chelsea... It's about, you know, everything should be there for a manager to go, wow, what a job. What a job. You know, uh, amazing facilities, amazing, you know, squads, live in London, work in London, great. But they're making it as unattractive as they possibly can at the moment. And it's, yeah. it's not Which great. job wouldn't you want the most? Chelsea or Tottenham Hotspur? Give us a call. 037 Don't actually do that because it's going to cost you money and we can't take the call. This is a podcast. It's recorded. <laughs> Actually, it's a free call. Okay. Just waste and, and time. Someone will take, and someone will take it. <laughs> because <laughs> TalkSport is a 24-hour radio station. There's someone there at all times. Uh, Chelsea won Brighton 2. Uh, Chelsea finally scored a goal. No one knew what to do. It was one of those moments where it came against the run of play. Conor Gallagher was played in by Mudrick, who actually showed flashes of, of what he has yeah. uh, in the game. Not much, but a couple of flashes of what, what he has. Gallagher then hits the ball into the ground. It hits uh, Duncan, goes in. And everyone's like, what do we do now? Well, a goal at home in the first half? This never happens. Um, I remember my brother actually texted me going, I've forgotten what to do here. Um, <laughs> it was, they were totally outplayed. It was a dreadful, dreadful performance. It was one of those games where the, it was unfair on Brighton that it was only 2-1. It should have been about five or six. Kepa Arida Balaga has not been a £72 million goalkeeper over the course of his uh, career at Chelsea. But he made probably four or five world-class saves that kept Chelsea in sort of a respectable distance to Brighton. They were so far off the pace. They looked unfit. They looked like it wasn't really for them. You know, we're going to get beaten. The first half, they sort of competed a little bit. 
once they went two one behind, once they were actually when it went one one, they just sort of went a little bit limp, really. And you know, I know that obviously they had to make changes because Reese James had a hamstring injury. Golo Conte can't play three games in a week, and Thiago Silva is older than me and Crook put together. So it, it, there's no way that he could play on a Saturday and on a Wednesday night in the Champions League. But seriously, the attitude of the players is absolutely shocking. You know, Frank Lampard came out afterwards and said they weren't even doing the basics right. I mean, they weren't even doing the basics of the basics right. It was it was so so bad. And the ownership have got to take a lot of uh, of the of the blame here because they've assembled this squad without any fault. And as far as I understand it, you know, agents have been pumping players into that football club over the course of the last year, um, and there's been no real strategic plan. And whoever goes into that club, whoever it is, is going to have an incredible job in trying to turn it around because there's too many players that are obviously confused about what the future holds for them. They don't know what's going on. They've got the, they've probably got two or three players in their position that they're fighting for. They don't know if they're going to be in the team next year. There's literally nothing to play for this year because they know they're not going to beat Real Madrid. And even if they do, they're definitely not going to beat Manchester City. So the season is over and that's how they're approaching football matches. It's, it's the, I mean, the feeling at the training ground, from what I understand, is, is, is embarrassing, really. Can I congratulate you on blaming everybody there apart from Frank Lampard? That is magnificent. Well done, <laughs> the Chief Lampard cheerleader. What, 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 because... would you, what, would you, what would you like to blame? What would you like to blame Lampard for? Well, he's still setting the team up. He's still the one who's trying to come up with the, the game plan. Listen, what you've got in the and Chelsea if you speak dugout. To any of the players, and if you speak to any of the players, if you ask Raheem Sterling what he thinks about the the game plan, he'll say, "This is this is great because I feel like we're more prepared than we have been over the course of the season." But so, ultimately, what so, you had—what so is it you want on the sidelines of Stamford Bridge? You speak to Raheem. You—you—you've got context. You've got a route to to Raheem. You ask that question and see and see what comes back. In one dugout, you've got a manager him, who is in a position that his CV doesn't really warrant. In the other, you've got an absolute magician in Roberto De Zerbi. So to expect Frank Lampard to set a team up to beat De Zerbi, I think is fanciful in the extreme. And when you're an interim manager, who, Ricky who Ralph said, found this last that? season. You, you you've don't. Ju- you've, ju- you've just turned that around on yourself. When you don't have that authority in the dressing room, because players know that you're only stopping by. You're not going to be there at the end of the season. It means the message gets diluted. That's if they're listening at all. And Absolutely. when he comes out and chucks Absolutely. them under the bus three games into his tenure, I'm not sure that's going to help anybody. Well, you've just you've just answered you just answered your own point because ultimately. He isn't qualified to do it, and he no, isn't going to be there long term. So, so, so you're blaming Frank Lampard is the wrong thing. It's not Lampard's fault that he got the job. He should never really. You're not going. To, he's never going to turn down the chance of managing Chelsea. That's not going to happen. When you're Derby manager and Chelsea come along and say well, we've got a transfer embargo, any chance you can come in? He was not stupid. He knew that that was going to probably only last a year and a half because everybody only lasts a year and a half at Chelsea, especially at the time. He had to deal with a pandemic. He had to deal with a transfer in Bogo. They still got in the Champions League. So he didn't do as badly as people make out. The Everton scenario, Everton have gobbled up every manager that has ever been there. I don't think Frank Lampard is Pep Guardiola. I do not believe that he is Jurgen Klopp. I do not believe he's Julian Nagelsmann. I believe he's a young football manager who was taken from the championship and who's given a job because of he, the fact that he was an, an England great and a Chelsea absolute stalwart. It was probably too much for him too early. Now, ultimately, the reason he's come back is to help out because Bruno didn't want to do it and because Potter 
couldn't do it. And Potter, by the way, has got a lot more coaching experience than Frank Lampard, and he couldn't get a tune out of this group. So expecting someone who didn't bring them in, hasn't got a relationship with them, to come in out from the code, cold and, and change a complete mess of a culture in three games is stupid. But it was never going to happen. And that's okay because they're getting to the end of the season and they're going to spend a load of money again on getting in a big-name manager and hope that he can wave a magic wand. It, you're in, in the same territory as Manchester United were in a year ago. The next appointment through the door is the most important. They need someone who can come in, command the dressing room and somehow work out what the best tactics are with that rabble of a squad that they've assembled, Kevin. But there's a general point about managers here and there were pundits who were quite happy to say about Roberto De Zerbi, he doesn't know our football. They were quite happy to look at his CV. And You're talking about Graham, aren't you? I was not say, just that was Graham. the same pundit who describes Casemiro as a steady Eddie. But not, look, not just Graham. <laughs> there are others. But yeah, he was the chief when it came to this. And he got it completely and utterly wrong. And he completely got it wrong when he looked at his CV because he was saying, oh, he hasn't been here long. He hasn't been here long. He's been at loads of different clubs. If you actually took time to scratch beneath the surface, and I said this at the time, if you actually took time to look at his CV, it was all individual circumstances. And a lot of those clubs wanted to keep him. But if you look at Benevento, for example, when he was there, they were getting smacked every week. They were bottom of Serie A. Those players were not up to it. But what he did was he put a style in. They were bold. They tried to play his football. And he got a lot of plaudits for that. And people noticed. And they went, well, these players are terrible. But look what he's doing with them. And Sassuolo, he was able to build something over years. And he yeah. learned. He had a lot of defeats. He had a lot of knocks. And he learned. And that is how you become an elite manager. Can't all be like Guardiola. He's a one-off. Can't all be like Guardiola and just parachute yourself in. And, and do this incredible job. And even he had experience before that to a certain extent. And so somebody like Deserbi has really honed that craft over years. I don't blame Lampard either. He shouldn't be in the job. It's a nonsense. There's no industry elsewhere that would go, oh, we sacked that guy a couple of years ago. Let's bring him back just because he knows the training ground, whatever the hell that means. And, and the I, Wi-Fi post, post. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I don't blame him. He was always going to say yes. He's never going to say no to Chelsea. Of course he is. And he's trying to help out. Inadequate. They're in a situation where they've got no one to steer the ship. Yes. It's nothing to do with him. But why he's get rid of Potter? He's literally why? there. Just, I, don't, I don't understand. Why I get don't rid understand. Of Potter? It's, it's brainless. We had this conversation a long time ago. What they should have done, they should have sacked Potter ahead of the Borussia Dortmund tie, right? Because all that mattered at that point was the Champions League. And there was long enough to get a tune out of the players so that they could get something in terms of European football next season. They should have done it then. They waited far too long. They got to, they did it six days before they went to Real Madrid. It's absolutely ludicrous. But then again, a lot of what they've done has been ludicrous. That performance they, they, they against don't, Real Madrid. They haven't got it. They haven't got, they haven't got the nous of the football world yet. They, they've walked in. And I remember speaking to someone at Chelsea last summer in the first couple of months of the, of the Todd Bowley, Clear Lake Capital regime, saying, do you know what? Overall, I think it's going to be okay. Like over two or three years, it'll be okay. The building blocks will, will eventually come together. But the first couple of years is going to be really erratic and it's going to be hard because they've got big personalities, they've got big pockets, and they're going to want to do it their way. They're going to find out really quickly that they can't do it their way and they've got to do it in the way that is conventional that gets things actually working on a football pitch and behind the scenes. But it, eventually, 
it will come through the other side. I think we're seeing that first spell now of of the erratic decision making having a, a really negative impact on the whole football club and fans leaning over from a top tier into a director's box and shouting at the owner sort of gives you an indication as where the fan base is, right? Good. Good. Fans should fan as long as it's not abusive. I don't know. I don't know exactly what the content was. I've seen the. Well, the I don't think they were asking what he was having dinner, Kev. I'd imagine they were. No, of course, of abuse. but you know, <laughs> in terms of as long Mr. as it's Bowley, not, we're not happy with the way that the team are playing. No, actually. that's how I would do it. No, it's but, Chelsea, but you're being a little bit ambitious there. Yeah, that's fair. But look, I, I've got no problem with that. Fans should be able to fans fans pay their money. They should be able to have dialogue with the owners however strong that dialogue happens to be but they've made a mess of the whole thing and they've signed some good players they could spot a player no question some of the guys they brought in i think are terrific love mudrick love fernandez uh, i think that they've made some really good signings in that regard but you have to get rid of the other guys first before you bring those yeah. guys in and it it is a shambles and i i think the lampard thing is actually the nadir of the whole thing and again, it's not his fault, but it's such an embarrassing sign of how much they're on the run from the fans. Oh, let's bring in Frank as a mascot for the rest of the season. He knows the club. He used to play for Chelsea. The fans will love that. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Stay with Potter for the rest of the season if you have to and sort everything out in the background. Because otherwise, because he would have taken that. Potter would have got, okay, I'll just get on with it because I know what's going on in the background. They're going to replace me. Fine. But he'd have had the dignity to do that, I'm pretty sure. But to bring in Lampard just as a kind of fluffy mascot for the rest of the season is a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. And it shows... All the big managerial changes this year have actually gone awry, haven't they? Southampton. Man alive. What a bad decision that was to get rid of Hasenhut. You know, Bayern Munich actually in particularly worked out. Yes, didn't not agree with that either. Well, has it? I mean, they, they, they've had a bit of a bad time. Uh, not at Aston Villa, though. Their change of manager seemed to work out pretty well. Uh, Aston Villa 3, Newcastle 0. By the way, they were brilliant on Saturday. Um, Watkins was absolutely sensational. And, and listening to Ollie actually after the game was really interesting because he, he was saying that the way it's happened is pretty simple. My strengths are running in behind. It's not having a fight with central defenders. It's not running the channels. It's getting in behind and people finding me. So the manager says to the guys, once you get the ball, look for Ollie and play it over the top. Within 15 seconds of that game, Sven Botman knew he had a he, he, he was on the run. And once Ollie Watkins had shown him a clean pair of heels, once he was panicking throughout the whole game. It was a terrific display. They were brilliant to watch. And you know what? I have to hold my hands up and say, I wasn't blown away by Unai Emery at the beginning of his tenure. I think I got a little bit unlucky by watching their Leicester Stevenage uh, and Wolverhampton Wanderers games. But I was very impressed on Saturday, Crook. And it wasn't just Watkins, was it? You know, Moreno, I think, was their only signing in January. He was superb. Tyrone Mings, who I think was more affected by being stripped of the captaincy than he has said publicly. That was a, a bit of a brain freeze from Steven Gerrard, but he was sensational, showing the kind of form that got him in the England squad. He's getting the best out of John McGinn. I, I think he's been terrific, Unai Emery. I, I think their charge has come too late for the Champions League places in, in terms of the fact they've played more games than everybody else, but they've got every chance of getting in Europe. To go from 17th, where they were when Gerrard left, to even be in that conversation... Six, I think makes Emery a contender 16th. for manager of the season. 16th. I think it was. 16th, sorry. Um, that one place is all important. 
<laughs> I don't think they'll make the top six, sadly, um, because they've got tough games to come between now and the end of the season. And I think the other teams have got games in hand on them, around them. So I think they're in a little bit of an advantageous position at this moment in time. But you never know, because the end of the season is one of those weird things where certain teams do take their foot off the gas. So there's every chance uh, that that could change. Newcastle looked a little bit light, I thought. Um, they had a couple of good chances. There was one brilliant ball from the right-hand side, which Isaac was just off the pace in getting to. He, was, he should have dived in and, and prodded that home. Didn't do so. And as a result of that, Almiron had a big chance as well. They missed chances, I think, on uh, Saturday and it, to make it more of a of a game in that second half. But look, they're still favourites for, for top four, I think, because uh, the other contenders are, are Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and Brighton. Let's get to the rest of Saturdays. No, no, Brighton aren't contenders for top four. They're contenders for the top six. And that will be an amazing, outstanding achievement. Don't try and drive them into the top four. It's, it's not going to happen. You're going to be thoroughly dis- disappointed. Aren't there two games in hand? Manchester United and Newcastle. Maybe they can make the top. Uh, Manchester team. United and uh, Arsenal, both, I think, actually. They've got to play Newcastle as well. They have, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, you know, it's a, it's, a big, it's a big, big game, especially at the top end of the table. Uh, right, OK, we'll uh, preview those when they come around. They'll probably be live on TalkSport because most of the games are. Uh, let's get to the rest of Saturday. Well, Crook. You know, talking of predictions, mm. might not have got this one right. Everton one, Fulham three. No flip-flops at Goodison Park, just flops. Terrible result for Everton. Um, Fulham saw them at Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago. They looked like a team who were on the beach, obviously missing their main man up front in Mitrovic. I thought that was a huge opportunity for Everton. And what would worry me, they had that sort of immediate bounce when Deitch came in. You were there, you did the game for TalkSport. They beat Arsenal. Well, the bounce ended there. You know, they very quickly have run out of puff. I think they'll probably be okay because of the three teams in the relegation places. But I tell you what, they're not they're not making it easy for themselves to stay up. That was a disastrous result. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? You know, Everton manager comes in, they go backs to the wall, they keep a clean sheet and get a couple of big results. And then very quickly, they revert to type. Have they seen that before? I'm trying to think. Oh, is this you defending Frank, Frank Lampard, Lampard again? again. <laughs> we'll, call this, <laughs> we'll call this the Frankie Says Relax podcast, shall we? Uh, do you know what was really interesting, though? It was, it was the way that Sean Dyche said it on Saturday in the interview after the game. He was like, yeah, it, that felt like it was uh, back to what it was like before I was here. And I was like, it's only been six weeks. <laughs> it's like, that is it, though. That's what happens to Everton. It's not just Frank Lampard. It's what happened with Rafa Benitez. If you remember, Rafa Benitez came in they were brilliant for the first four weeks of that season. And then they went off the boil again. The same with Carlo Ancelotti. They had a brilliant start to the campaign, then went off the boil again. You know, it's just, it seems to be a cultural thing at Everton. You know, it's so, so bad. I mean, that was the second, was it the second goal or the third goal where Tarkovsky unnecessarily goes and smashes someone inside opposition territory, wide on the touchline, gives away a free kick, then backpedals and tries to get back into position. The ball goes over his head because he gets caught underneath the ball. It hits Michael Keane as he's trying to get out of the way, bounces into the path of the forward, and that's it. It's over. It's done. Go home. Yeah, it was pretty dreadful. And James scored. Well, yeah. I I think what was alarming as well was how open they were in midfield. They were completely overrun in midfield, and that's that's not supposed to happen in in a Deitch team. So... That, that, I think, was probably the most alarming result they've had since he's been there, really. And, and that's another game off the board. And so 
we've still got a lot of work to do. I, I think they'll be okay, but I think it'll be tighter than a lot of people expect. Uh, can I get one of those T-shirts that says Frankie says relax? <laughs> With Lampard's face on it, presumably. With Lampard's face we'll on it. We'll patent it. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Southampton nil Palace 2 um, actually we should mention that Dan James is doing more to keep Leeds up than Leeds United themselves um, so, and he's on loan from Leeds at Fulham uh, Southampton nil uh, Palace 2 Crookie you were there uh, how ba- bad were Saints I, because actually didn't they have a, a couple of good opportunities and you know sort of dominate that first half I didn't I, I read that Crystal Palace only had two shots on target in the game that was the two goals D- dominates a strong word um, Palace were there for the taking. They, they weren't particularly good, um, Crystal Palace, but Southampton was so passive, so obsessed with keeping possession rather than actually trying to show that ruthless streak that will keep them in the Premier League. And again, I mentioned it on last week's podcast, and I've got nothing personal against this guy, but Ruben Sellers still talking about identity, philosophy, still reluctant to chuck on the big man up front. They are sleepwalking into the championship. There's no sign of them waking up anytime soon. He looks the part. He's got his crookie roll neck. He's got his blazer. He speaks the right talk, but his players aren't walking the walk. And well, they're walking one way, and it's it's, it's down. They're gone. They got you know they got they've got absolutely no chance. Southampton, and it job. has been. Why is he in the job? It's it's mad. I I cannot understand. Again, we've how, how often have we talked about this, Kevin? There's so many situations, and I've bemoaned it. You know, and I'm, I'm joke. We joke about the Lampard situation, but it's the same thing. It's football clubs who spend all this money on players, training, diet, nutrition, transport, making sure that the sleep patterns are 100% perfect, and then they employ just the bloke who happens to be around in order to steer them through the biggest league in the world where it's there mad. is stuff to play for. It is it mad. Is, it's negligent. But the, the Right, so, so Crookie, you know this. You, you were telling me for a while that the Hudson Huddle thing wasn't necessarily working. There was a lot of talk about him going, all that stuff. I understand that. I, I get that. And sometimes if you've been a manager at a place for a long time, the message isn't necessarily getting through. However, if they kept him, my suspicion is, and I, I will never know this for sure, <laughs> but my suspicion is they wouldn't be in the bottom three. My suspicion is a very experienced, very good coach would have silenced the dissenting voices in the end if he'd been given that authority to do that, and they would not be in the bottom three. They got rid of him, got Nathan Jones in, which was just so mad that people might think it didn't even happen. It was just some terrible dream for a few weeks. So he's gone. They flirted with Jesse Marsh. That didn't work out, and ended up with Ruben Sellers, who may well end up being a very good coach, but he has no track record shouldn't be there. So it is mad that this is the point where they've got to when they had an excellent coach <laughs> with a good CV and they got rid of him. It is insane. How, well, how are Stellini, Sellers and Lampard steering Premier League football clubs at this stage of the season? Clueless it, owners. I think you can chuck Dean Smith into that as well with the greatest respect in the world when you look at what happened at Norwich. But <laughs> Southampton were in a very privileged position they're, they're in a very privileged position because sacking Ralph Hardenhut wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. The timing was slightly knee-jerk because the plan was to get rid of him during the World Cup. They got battered at home by Newcastle, so they accelerated that decision. But they've been planning for weeks, if not months, to make that change. How on earth yeah. do you have the foresight to know you're going to change your manager and you appoint Nathan Jones? 
that that's one of the big mistakes you've mentioned. Ruben Sellers comes in, wins his first game at Chelsea. Everybody wins at Chelsea. And they give him the job until the end of the season. Why did they need to do that? They've won one game since then. They lost to Grimsby in the FA Cup. That was an absolute humiliation. The signings they've made, they've paid £18 million for a six-foot-seven striker the manager doesn't want to use. They've got Mislav Orsic, who was a World Cup semi-finalist. The manager's not interested in using him either. He signed in January. Terrible transfer window. So the summer, they filled the team with kids. They've got a number one goalkeeper, who is going to be very talented one day, but is nowhere near ready to be a Premier League number one. Every decision that Sport Republic have made this season has been a disaster. They got Jan Bednarek back from Aston Villa. He basically said he didn't want to be there anymore when he went to Aston Villa. Couldn't get a game at Villa because he isn't very good. It's incredible. Crook, 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 Crook wasn't going to talk about Southampton um, because as far as he was concerned, they were dead to the Premier League. But he's made a very good case uh, for burying them even further. Um, <laughs> we will, I'm sure we'll revisit that towards the end of the campaign. Wolves beat Brentford by two goals to nil. 155, uh, 2,155 days since his last Premier League goal. Diego Costa back on the score sheet in the Premier League. And back-to-back wins for Wolves as well. Uh, Monday night, we've got Leeds against Liverpool uh, live on TalkSport. Tuesday night, Chelsea against Real Madrid. Wednesday night, Bayern Munich against Manchester City. Thursday night, Sevilla against Manchester United and West Ham against Gen. And Friday night, Arsenal against Southampton. Wall-to-wall football on the station where the matches matter. Uh, Talk Sport bringing you the best games as we reach the run-in. Thanks to Crookie and thanks to Kev as well. We'll be back on Friday morning uh, where we review all of the midweek action and look ahead to what is going to be a stunning weekend, not only in the Premier League, but two big FA Cup semi-finals as well. Remember... Crookie has said, if Brighton beat Manchester United, he will be a little bit happy. Just a little bit happy. Just a little bit happy. The Manchester United fan said that. Yeah, it's true. Uh, you can tweet him. It's at Alex underscore Crook. This is the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. <laughs> The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.